Hello and welcome to the third edition of my podcast on the topic of the causes of the abolition of the slave trade. Uh, this is part of the A-Level Edexcel syllabus. Uh, we will be covering four main reasons for the abolition of the slave trade. So far, we've covered the humanitarian debate. Uh, we started to look at economic causes last time with Eric Williams' decline thesis, and I'll be referring to that today and building on it by looking at the further financial and economic considerations linked to the abolition of the trade. So, Last time we specifically looked at Williams's decline thesis as an introduction um, to the significance of economic and financial factors. Now, the slave trade was an integral part of Britain's prosperity, with Liverpool becoming the biggest slave trading port in the world, claiming three-sevenths of the whole European trade. Now, this is combined with the excesses of wealth that flowed into other areas, such as Glasgow, but also Bristol, where 40% of people's income was attached to the trade. Now, the British benefited from the triangular slave trade, which I'm going to try and explain to you now, where British goods would be shipped to Africa, uh, such as guns, ammunition, but also textile from things like the cloth industry. There, they would be exchanged for slaves who would then be shipped off to the Americas to work on the plantations where raw materials would then be returned back to Britain. So not only was this a source of those raw materials, but it was also a large trading point for the goods that were produced. Now, this trade was particularly significant during the wars with France, when British manufacturers had to rely solely on this market alone. Now, the importance of this trade has so far seemed to contradict Williams's thesis because I've explained how significant it was. However, as we're following an essay format, I want to try and evaluate the uh, issue of economics. So it's important to consider the importance of the slave trade within the economics of more widely industrialising Britain. Now, you've already learned about the ideas of free trade by Adam Smith and the laissez-faire approach that he endorsed, which was favoured by the government at the time. So, as I mentioned last time, you need to consider the argument of the carrot and the stick. Now, Smith argued that the slave labour was neither as efficient nor as cheap as the free labour, not free in the economic sense, but the free labour that was on offer by choice. Adam Smith suggesting that workers are never going to work to the best of their ability under the stick. The slave trade had, however, continued to bring in large sums of money, nearly three million a year by the 1770s. However, the cost of quelling slave rebellions, which were becoming more and more frequent and which is the focus of one of our later debates, uh, enforcing working conditions on the plantations themselves and the ships, as well as the risk of the slave voyages, uh, were becoming increasingly problematic, uh, with one in ten slave voyages ending in revolt. That's without taking into consideration um, sea losses because of the weathers and storms and also because of disease on board. Therefore, Williams's argument is supported within, by industrialisation, which offered an alternative model for continued economic growth in Britain. However, you cannot consider the economic motives for abolition without looking at the finances attached to the trade. 
and to counter the argument that one in ten voyages ended in revolt and therefore it must have been becoming unprofitable, you really must consider that slave voyages actually produced profit of 20 to 50%. And in fact, in places like Liverpool, that was more like 100% profit. So high was that profit that actually slave owners only needed one in three voyages to come in in order to still benefit financially. Um, sorry, instead of not to lose financially. These figures still suggest a highly lucrative industry and historians such as Stanley Engerman suggest that the slave trade accounted for at least 5% of the nation's annual income. This sheer volume of money makes to challenge Williams's thesis, especially with the possibility of individual profits that were brought. Overall, despite increasing risks of lost cargo to storms and disease, increased revolts on plantations and the high cost of maintaining their slaves, even when work on the plantations came to a stop because of poor harvests, we still had people who were at risk of debt. So in Glasgow, merchants owed more than 1.3 million to the people in the Americas. Despite all of this, the importance of the trade remained important and it's evidenced in the fact that the government continued to support the trade rather than abolish it. Now, where legislation was brought in, now that's the Dolben Act in 1788, for example, it only improved the very worst of conditions on the slave trade rather than ban it altogether. And in fact, it brought in some items which protected the cargo, the slaves on board, and therefore the profitability of the journeys. The vital nature of the trade somewhat undermines the economic debate as being the biggest cause of abolition. And therefore, what we want to be able to do is compare that to the other factors, such as humanitarianism, uh, the role of key individuals, which we'll look at next time, um, and also the political climate of the time, including slave revolts. Uh, so once again, I want to thank you for listening. Um, thank you to Andrew's Philosocast for hosting me. Um, I've hoped you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful. Thanks. <laughs>